Carnivorous couch, it happens once a week It swallows us for two hours when we try to sleep It forces us to watch a film about which we then speak Carnivorous couch With Brady and Rob Hey everybody, hey everybody, hey everybody, thank you for listening to another episode of Carnivorous Couch, the film, uh, spoiler full film podcast where we do a film a week from two film geeks, Brady, hi, and Rob, me, and uh, this week we did 1953's Beat the Devil. Hold on, I will confirm. Is it 53? You're right. Okay, sweet. You're on the money. And um, this is a film, who's, who's in this one? Uh, it stars Humphrey Bogart, Jennifer Jones, oh, I'm going to fuck this one up, uh, Gina Lollabrigida, an Italian um, Lollabrigida. She was a sex symbol of the day, I believe, from my, my very scant research on this. Uh, and you've got, Defin- you know, Definitely, uh, yeah. You've got She's famous very actor lady. Peter Lorre, uh, and um, I forget, is oh, no, never mind. Yeah, Peter Lorre. And Robert Morley, a British character actor who was, uh, in the 70s, the spokesman for British Airways. Yeah, Peter Lurie, it was a, a pretty um, a pretty early role for him, I think. Uh, he wasn't on the bill or anything. Was it? Because I thought, I thought he was like in the 40s with like famous stuff like M or whatever. I mean, he was mostly really good at voices, right? <laughs> well, he is a very... A very distinctive Peter Lorre voice. He he w- he's like one of the big boys, at least back in the day, to do impressions of. I feel like right. It's like everyone had a Peter Lorre. Well, uh, we'll talk more about Peter Lorre later, but uh, let's just do a little plot synopsis. As I said a second ago, this is a spoiler-full podcast, which means we spoil the whole damn movie for you. The whole thing. So ruined. Ruined, entirely. We ruined the whole thing. <laughs> The whole, yeah, just merp. That could be our banner as we ruin movies. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, plot synopsis is difficult because it's kind of a, a, a rambling plot, right? Yeah. Um, well, yes. It starts um, off in Italy, and there's a does. bunch of people going to a hotel. They're all going to go to the center of Africa, and they've all got different schemes to get this uranium-rich land. Correct. Um, and they were going to get on a boat or whatever. Uh, then one of them was like, well, no, we should fly. He's like, well, don't fly because you don't want to be there too soon. And so eventually they do get on a boat. Uh, yes, they do. Uh, well, let's introduce the characters, I guess, right? Okay. Okay, so... Humphrey Bogart plays Billy. and Billy, uh, what's his name? Oh, and no, I remember it because it sounds like Dan Rather, the yeah. actor man. But it's Billy Dan Rather, <laughs> who is uh, kind of... Um, Interestingly to me, you feel like, you know, the big marquee matinee idol is going to be kind of the head of this thing, but he's actually kind of a stranger to the group he's working with. They've hired him, and they're all a little closer knit, but they've hired him to kind of help with it. I didn't get a sense of what his role was, but I guess he's like the logistical man. Yeah, he's going to do some work or whatnot to get the land, and he and he's reluctant to be with them. He's like, I don't really want to work with these guys because I think they're scumbags. Yeah, this movie is a lot about, like, no one trusting each other. Um, And so, yeah, those scumbags um, who, like, I love what different body types they have. 
So you've got Robert Morley, a British character actor and stage legend, playing kind of um, a very corpulent, like, roly-poly, towering man. Yeah, he looks like John Lithgow, kind of. Uh, if John Lithgow had the uh, frame no, not John Lithgow. I'm of sorry. Jeff Garland. No, 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 John uh, Lovitz. Uh, yeah, that's that's closer to it. <laughs> that's what I meant. But a uh, very British. What are those? What are those John L. guys? Yeah, <laughs> with with a booming British voice. You've got Peter Lorre as this uh, very short, because Peter Lorre is short, um, probably ex-Nazi, uh, living who like is from Argentina, because that's what happened to a lot of Nazis after the war was they were shunted off to South America. Oh, you think Lorre's an ex-Nazi? There's the one guy who's definitely an ex-Nazi. That's the... For, you know, he's a fascist, but... Um, oh, yeah, the, the general... He was in the Indian Army. Or the major, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah no, he's, he's a real piece of work. But no, the joke with the Peter Lorre character is his name is now O'Hara, uh, but he clearly has, like, a Germanic accent. So it's like, oh, you're you're in hiding. <laughs> Which, um, a big thing about this movie, we'll get to that, is people hiding stuff about themselves. Yes, and then, very much. I, I forget the actor who plays him, but you have a, a tall, rail-thin Italian guy called Ravello. Ravello. Yeah, yeah, it kind of looks like John Turturro. Uh, he does, very much. Yeah. And I could, I don't know if this was intentional, but I could kind of barely understand most of what he said. Which is almost kind of Cohen-y to me. You've just got this guy who's like, it sounds funny. Yeah. Like so we've got the we got the four ne'er-do-wells who are obviously like the, you know, the, like the villain team in any cartoon. Like, there's right. four of them, they're different sizes, and they're, they're up to no good. It's classic. And then you got Billy and his wife. And then you've got Harry and his wife. Billy and his wife, who, like, played by an Italian actress, never mentioned in the movie, but originally uh, she's supposed to be Hungarian. Oh. And she's clearly Italian. She's, like, the most Italian. Yeah, well, it's based on a book. Yeah, yeah. Uh, from 51, so... Um, of the same name? Yes. Uh, I, I know it was criticized for kind of not being as snug as the book, and this like they shot this day by day. Truman Capote wrote the screenplay. Yes. Well, Truman Capote and several other people, but essentially, they were going day by day, and then Truman would write some more stuff. Yeah. And then they'd shoot the next day, and there you go. <laughs> so, um, anyway, so they get on the boat. Oh, and let's not leave out, you've got a very important two characters, the married British couple on vacation. Yeah, Harry and his wife, Gwendolyn. Yeah, Harry and Gwendolyn Chelm. And so, what's happening is, um, this the Gwendolyn character is kind of seeing like all these shady dealings going around, and she's very intrigued. She's like, who is this? You know, takes notice of the Bogart character. He's like, who is this man? Like, oh, these guys are up to something. And she's got a very wild imagination, so she's just pumped up, like, oh, am I going to get involved in, like, some fantastic wild story? Um, the one thing I thought was kind of fast, but I think they just did it this way back in the day, was she falls in love with him so quickly. Oh, yeah. It's like a day goes by. Well, and it's weird because they, you know, the married couple start to fall in love with the other spouse of the married couple. Right. And it's like, wait, are you married? <laughs> but I guess it's part of the... Yeah, it's just very like, yeah, sure, then I, I want a wife swap, that's it. Yeah. Or husband swap. Yeah, you know, whatever. Just, uh, I guess, I mean, I mean, as we know, marriage was a lot more about, like, marrying up or marrying a, the right person or blah, 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 like... Back uh, in yeah, the 50s yeah. or whatnot. So. It's more 
that. So anyway, they get on the boat. Eventually they do get on the boat. Okay. Um, <laughs> I mean, well, no, uh, yeah, I guess they don't get on the boat quite yet. They're talking about stuff, and then they're going to go get on the plane. But they don't get on the plane because the car breaks down, and then they're pushing the car, and the car gets away from them and goes over the cliff. So they're presumed dead. And this yep. is when we find out that she says, I'm in love with him, because she's so shocked and sad that Yeah, that's uh, the Billy catalyst for it to be out died. in the open with her husband. So she's like, I love him. Um, and then they come back, and then they get on the boat uh, full of colorful Italians. Yeah, there's, there's definitely a lot of people dying and then coming back and going, oh, I'm not dead. Died was over there. Yeah. <laughs> Screwball death comedy. Exactly. Um, so yeah, then they get on the boat. I, I, I was trying to get to the boat because most of the... I was trying to keep the plot synopsis short, but I guess we didn't do it. Um, we, we're, we're getting stuff out of the way that we would have had to talk about later. True. Okay, so they get on the boat. And then when they're on the boat, they're just all kind of chilling. The captain is one of my favorite characters because the... First, they can't leave on the boat because the captain's drunk, but then the captain's sober, but then obviously the captain's drinking on the boat, and um, what's-his-face keeps uh, keeps messing, uh, you know, the, the ne'er-do-well criminal quad bunch keep uh -huh. messing with Harry and, like, steal his case or whatever because they think there's something in it that's important that might give away Billy's true motives, and even though they're not traveling together, so I don't know why they thought that. At any rate. Right. Um, then at one point, there's like a scene where they're all in the bar, and uh, the player piano's going... Well, I guess before that, the, the boat breaks down and they're adrift, and then Harry goes down and fixes the engine, but then the engine uh, goes kerboom. Uh -huh. <laughs> and then they're all hanging out in, in the saloon thinking about what they're going to do, and then Harry's like... No, it wasn't me. It wasn't my fault. He's very distraught and upset about it. So he goes out. And then at this point, the major's like, I'm going to kill him. <laughs> major. Um, so. Yeah, the major is an excitable little fascist. And everybody thinks the major's playing the piano, but it's a player piano. So, <laughs> you know, his alibi almost worked out. <laughs> <laughs> it couldn't have been me. I was playing the piano. I was in the Indian Army, man. He might have said. He might have said. So at any rate, <laughs> um, there's a a scene where he tries to kill him, and then Bogart's talking to his wife, going like, "You should go hang out with him because he's probably not safe alone right now." Right. Um, and she doesn't really. She's kind of lagging on it. So Bogey goes out there and then saves the guy who's about to get stabbed by the the major. Right. Because at this point, Harry has caught them stealing his suitcase, and then bomb drop reveals I know about the uranium yeah I know what you guys are actually up to and they're like okay uh, he's gonna have us arrested he, he openly says he's gonna have them arrested as soon as they get to port right so then after Bo Bogart uh, rescues him then she comes out with this thing she's constantly lying the whole time about what he does or who he is I love it yeah and, and eventually changing yeah she just comes out and goes like he's got paranoia he's just thinks that people are gonna kill him and and he does this all the time, and and you should probably lock him up. I mean, it's kind of like uh, the Jessica Rabbit line where it's like, I hit Roger in the head with a frying pan so that he wouldn't get hurt. Yes, and then he very humorously leans into what she said. Like, I'll kill you! I'll, I'll kill, kill you! I'll kill all of you! <laughs> That's great. 
But he's not leaning in because he's playing along. He's leaning in just because he's so enraged by what's happening to him. Plays into his wife's hands. And then there's a hole in the ship, and and the ship sinks, so they all have to get in a lifeboat. And then they get picked up by uh, Hukas... Well, they get picked up by an army when they land on the shore. They bury their passports because they don't want anybody to know who they are. And then they get brought to, like, a magistrate or, like, a local Yeah, where are leader. they? Uh, I think South Africa. No, no, because they sailed from the Mediterranean. Um, they, they would have been somewhere in North Africa, but not where they intended what, to be. Isn't the Mediterranean right next to South Africa? <laughs> Maybe in My Patagonia. geography is impeccable. Uh, or not Patagonia, Pangea. Pangea. Okay, yeah, no, I don't understand geography. So I guess they land in North Africa, and they're going to Central Africa. Right, the, the deserty part. Because uh, I thought, oh, maybe did they accidentally end up in Arabia or something, but I didn't. Well, whatever. They get picked up by this guy some somewhere in Africa, and uh, then he's just sitting there smoking his hookah the entire time, going like, I don't believe you. I think you're Westerners, and you're, you're bad. And he's like, it could only take one look at us. He stares at each of them My and goes like... My favorite joke. I could not determine your innocence with one look. Like, if this were a cartoon, like, these shifty-looking motherfuckers, like, one of them would have a gold tooth and, like, a shitty goatee and mustache. And the <laughs> thing they say to him is just like, if, if, isn't looking at us sufficient to think that we're believable and trustworthy? It's like, I don't think one look is. <laughs> so then, yeah. So then he's hanging out, and at one point, Bogey kind of gets himself singled out. So Billy runs out the door and then they capture him and, and for some reason doing that allows him to sit and talk with the guy and drink with the guy and kind of cut a deal. Yeah, I guess Billy's a charmer, I guess, and he somehow like this guy is obsessed with Rita Hayworth, so Billy, I'm assuming lying, says, Oh yeah, I know Rita Hayworth. Yes. Because Humphrey Bogart does know Rita. <laughs> uh famous actress of the time. Yes. There's all these like little pin up uh, you know, uh, he's got him around his bed because he doesn't have a locker. Um, uh, but, yeah. <laughs> but he's just sitting there smoking, going like, "You really know Rita Hayworth?" Oh yeah. Uh, yes, of course I know Rita Hayworth, and I think she'd be charmed by a man like you. Yeah, that's a pretty good bogey. Yeah, that's a pretty good bogey. Uh, too bad I can't do it for understudy this week. That is too bad. I guess I could, but no, no, we try not to do actors from the movie. So then, eventually they get set free thanks to his wheeling and dealing. They reach their destination, and, and somehow the ship that was sinking has survived, and the furious Italian captain is yelling at them as they come into port. Yeah, and Peterson has written the guy a check, which is not going to oh, that's go right. through, right? Yeah, Yeah. so Billy fucks Peterson. He, he makes a deal with the magistrate or whoever he is, and uh, basically they coerce Peterson into writing a check. Half of which will go to Billy, uh, unbeknownst to Peterson, I, I believe. Right. And then all of that check is not getting cashed by the magistrate because uh, Peterson doesn't actually have any money and he wasn't really going to be able to <laughs> pay for the that. land in Central Africa anyway. <laughs> <laughs> he was going to steal it, basically. How was and he going to steal it? I think just write him a bad check and then freaking take it. I don't know. <laughs> they don't like Westerners in Africa for a good reason. <laughs> Yeah, which the movie points out. Um, and then, let me see. Yeah. The then they reach their destination, and uh, who are they picked up by? It's like a some kind of law enforcement officer of, of Scotland British. Yard. Oh, yeah, it's Scotland because Yard. Because in, in the opening, 
you know, and part of the reason Billy doesn't like these guys is like there's somebody who died in London who was killed. Right. And he's like, I'm pretty sure these guys killed that guy. Yeah, and probably the major did it. Yeah. Because he's their little assassin. He's their stabby, stabby guy. He's, he's their angry stabby, little... Stabby, stabby. Stabby guy. <laughs> and um, he... Oh, no, um, I'm sorry. Gwendolyn drops the bomb. She gets over on them, gets the, you know, trio, the malevolent trio arrested uh, by revealing what their intentions are. You know, because she wants to run away with Billy. So her whole game is just us get the money. We have to, like, somehow get over on, on our scheming partners. And she does that. That works. Oh, and by this point, also, we should say Harry is lost at sea. We don't know where he is, but he escaped. You know, he was very aggrieved. When the boat went down, he didn't get yeah. on the lifeboat with the rest of them. Yeah, they tried to lock him up for being crazy, but he broke loose of his chains, left a goodbye note, and is gone. Uh, and so at this point, everything is looking kind of wrapped up. The, you know, the schemers are being arrested, and um, then they receive a telegram from yes. Harry. Yes, uh, from Harry to his wife, which says, I'll forgive all the you being crazy in love with Bogey and stuff. If you come meet me right away, I bought the land that they were going to steal, so we good. And, and uh, yeah. then Bogey just laughs and says, ha, 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 this is the end. And it was the end of the movie. It was the end. <laughs> okay. So, yes, that was the plot synopsis. Next segment is, how did we like it? Right? And that gets brought in with this. Hey, 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 how do we like it? Brady, how did you like this movie? I like this a lot. Um, you know, it's like the whole thing with it being written day to day and like maybe not being as clean as the book was, whatever they say. And I can't confirm that because I have not read the book. But like it's it's wooliness and kind of that it just had a lot of good uh, spontaneous comedic energy to it. Um, and also it, in a lot of ways it reminded me of comedic Coen Brothers films. Where, like, A, casting based not just on talent, because these guys are all very talented, very, very good performances all around, uh, but, like, a real eye for physical type. You know, starting with, like, having that motley crew of one big, giant, towering British guy, and then, like, a short, little, mumbly guy, and a tall, like, rail-thin Italian. And yet, I, I just think this thing is cast with, like, a good eye for faces. And even their one, like, megastar Humphrey Bogart is a guy with quite a face right and and he financed it oh yeah and, and he does not think fun did not think fondly of it because it bankrupted him or lost him a ton of it's money a little sour it's a little sour because he yeah. paced uh, he paid a bunch of money and uh, didn't work out too good you know he it seems like he has like a gene hackman and tenenbaums take on it where it's like a lot of people really like it he's like fuck that movie <laughs> it's like why don't you think it's good you did a good job like fuck no i hate it um, but at least with Bogart, it makes sense because he lost a chunk of change. And uh, the story at background I read was because the novel is written by a left-leaning author in the 50s. It's also like, well, he could have potentially put himself out with all the House on American activities right. going on. So it was a huge leap. And for it to just kind of turn into this cult movie that he probably didn't even get. Yeah, well, <laughs> 
I could see why that would maybe leave him a bit nonplussed. But back to what do I think? I, I love the comedic energy. Um, it's got a looseness. And when I say like the Cohen comedy comparison, it's because these performances are really, really big. But because they have, you know, no less of a writer than Truman Capote helping to provide the script, um, the dialogue is really, really good. So it's what I would call the right kind of bigness. Um, it's, it's very, very literary. Yeah, the dialogue's um, good. And then there's also just a lot of, like, exposition lines where it's like, this is how I think about the world. I'm this person. Yeah, I think this way. And that's very, I think, Capote-rooted, right? It's like, there yeah. are some people who just think shitty things. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. He, Capote was good with twisting the knife and good with, yeah, just, like, very... Yeah, I don't know. Um, but, yeah, uh, it's... It's the right kind of, like... Like, you could say all these people are archetypes. It's a movie of archetypes, but where those archetypes don't feel flat. They feel very dimensional and lovingly crafted because you let really good character actors go and, like, make them their own. Yeah, and, I mean, everyone's kind of an archetype except for uh, Bogart. Bogart's kind of just, like... I don't know. Maybe Bogart's the Bogart archetype. Bogart kind of crafted <laughs> there is that. his own. Yeah, that's true. Um, what is it? He's like world weary. He doesn't trust anyone, but somehow his cynicism isn't off-putting. He's just kind of like, oh, I've seen this shit before. <laughs> I don't trust these guys, but they're who I got. Yeah, so my thought was, um, like, I like it now. I like it. I like it once they get on the boat and this and that. Up until that point, I was like, this is a little talky and I'm having trouble following it. It's a little jumbled. Oh, it's uh, extremely talky. Yeah, well, at the very beginning, it gets a little less talky as time goes on. But when they're initially showing all the characters and this and that, and this character's this person, and this character's that person, and so forth and so on. Right. Um, it was, yeah, it was, I was like, this, this is a lot of talking and I'm not really sure I caught all that. And I kind of... Like, there's that scene in the bar where, like, uh, Bogart just tells the major what he thinks of him. And he's just like, you just insulted, or blah, 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 of, of the, this, that, you know. And, like, he's he's all ready to fight him. He's <laughs> like, have another drink to wash away the thing. It's like, no, I'll fight you. Put him up. Come on. You yellow? <laughs> See, him too. The, the physicality is just great because the major is just... He's like a little yellow jacket. He's like the shortest <laughs> little, like, but he's like, it's so Napoleon complex. He's just like ready to fuck someone up at the slightest suggestion of, of insult. <laughs> yeah, and, he, and he's like totally a fascist. Like, it's just yeah. super lampshaded when it's like uh, going like, oh, oh, they died. Oh, no. First, um... <laughs> Like, when he thinks that, uh, what's his face, Spencer, uh, Stevenson? Uh, oh, Peterson. Peterson, thank you. Stevenson, Peterson, St Spencer. I knew it had freaking S's and P's in it. Um, um, shit, I just said all those names now, and now I've forgotten the actual one. Stevenson. Peterson. Peterson. <laughs> Damn it. So when he thinks he's dead. When he thinks he's dead, he's all like, uh, first Mussolini, then Hitler, now Peterson. <laughs> like what a compliment <laughs> like with reverence <laughs> and all that stuff so. you could have really been a Stalin if you'd just lived long <laughs> enough 
Um, so, yeah, once they get on the boat and uh, kind of the the compulsive liarness of Gwendolyn kicks into full steam, <laughs> and it's just like she'll say anything just to get her whatever. Um, <laughs> She's great. Yeah, like uh, my girlfriend, Madeline, was in the other room, like, clean in the kitchen. <laughs> she was just kept going, uh, like, uh, this lady's great. She says something new about her husband every two seconds, and it's all a total lie. So. And, you know, I'd love to have Maddie or Tess watch this and have their own thoughts, but I can understand. Um, I would, I think I can wager an explanation as to maybe what would appeal to them about this movie and about that character who I think is maybe my favorite character in the movie is when she comes in she she's on the outside like she has nothing to do with it her and her husband are just at a cafe having uh, you know lunch um, and she sees the film like almost in a meta way she's outside of the film looking at okay this is one of those heist movies it's like a, a con a bunch of con artists double crossing each other She's like, that's so cool. I want to be part of it. So she becomes the character who really wasn't removed from it, but insinuates herself into this thing, kind of with a uh, an extra textual understanding of the kind of story she's in. And she's like, that's great. I love making shit up. Yeah. <laughs> God, on and it's like, yeah, she gets to be, I don't know if Mary Sue is the proper term in this case, but like when a character is basically written to be an audience surrogate, and the idea is like, you could be in this movie with these, like, colorful, depraved, unsavory characters. Yeah, all you have to do is lie. All you have to do is lie. <laughs> Pretend you're one of them. It's, it's kind of a great uh, endorsement for the heist movie. Yeah. Um, so, all that. I really love the magistrate that he's one of... I like the he's captain good. and the magistrate. Like, the captain's just beleaguered and just like, Oh, God. You guys, now you've got an argument about a case that was stolen and this and that. Just let me drink in peace. Get him a gun! You fucking number number number. And I, I like the ship. Uh, I don't know what he was. Probably the first mate. Who yeah. was like a very young, like kind of suave, soft-spoken guy. Like, uh, you know. Oh, I like it when he totally sees the guy take the case from the room, and then he, uh, Harry's like, "You, you definitely saw. You even told me that you saw." And it's just like, "No, I didn't." Because <laughs> he's just like, I don't like you, so I'm not backing you up. <laughs> and, like, I have not read a lot of Capote, but I feel like he gets one of the most Capote-esque lines at the end, where he's like, you know, the world is full of a lot of bad characters. Take mine. Yes. That is, like, so Capote-ish. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, I like it. I'd give it a an 83. All right. So you that's a B. That's a B? Yeah. God, I didn't... Got a real beef. I didn't expect, like, I'm almost minus on it, but I kind of want to go minus because it's so fun. Like, everything, everything about it is so well calibrated. And then when you add kind of this meta element to it, which, like, I, I have a lot to catch up on from this time period, but that seems so modern. Like, a movie that understands the kind of movie it is and kind of has characters commenting in a way but not in a way that totally takes you out of it mm. um i think it's very smart I, I am super curious to see how much of it is capote and how much is the book itself but either way i think what we got is is pretty cool i'm, I'm gonna go a minus just to give it the benefit of the doubt it might come down when i think about it or maybe not 
But um, I, I liked it a lot. I was quite impressed and had a good old time. Alrighty. Well, let's uh, run off and do uh, understudy. And uh, you got a voice picked up? Uh, I got yeah. one. Okay, cool. Uh, I got that. We're so sorry we couldn't get the actors to do the scene from this screenplay, but we've got two understudies, and to be honest, they're probably more famous anyway. So try to guess the actors, try to guess the movies. Tweet us at C A R N Y Couch. This game called Understudy is happening, happening, happening right now. Did you ever see uh, the the episode uh, The Man from Rio with uh, Peter Laurie and uh, Steve McQueen? I don't think so. Oh, you remember it all right. In the show, Peter Laurie makes a, a bet that Steve McQueen can't light a cigarette lighter ten times in a row. Now, if Steve McQueen can light a cigarette lighter ten times in a row, he wins uh, Peter Laurie's new car. Yeah, if he can, he loses his little finger. Norman and Chester just made the same bet. Uh, Norman's putting up his, his pinky against Chester's mint convertible 1964 Chevy Corvette that he uh, can light his Zippo lighter ten times in a row. You guys are drunk. Crystal, when you're drinking anything else, you're drinking champagne. But when you're drinking Crystal, you say, you're drinking Cristal. Drinking Cristal, watching TV, New Year's Rockin' Eva. When, when all of a sudden we flip Steve McQueen and, and Peter Lorge being fucking badass. And I look at this funny motherfucker over there and Norman says, Hi, I do that for the Chevelle. And I replies, Oh, really? You guys wouldn't be doing something this stupid unless you were drunk. Why are you doing this? Uh, throw the bet. Uh, I'm the one with something to lose here, because I uh, pretty near guarantee that I love my car more than Norman loves his pinky. How about you guys? You're just going to sit back and let your friends mutilate each other? Uh, why not? Uh, life's don't get much more exciting than this. I mean, uh, Norman's putting his dick in the chopping block. I'd step in, because, you know, in the morning, we'd really regret it, but it's pinky. Uh, who, who gives a fuck? I mean, theoretically, he could lose the chopping onions tomorrow, so you go on. How about you? Ah, uh, which brings us to your little part in this. I don't have a part. Now, Ted, my own granddaddy used to say, the less a man makes a declarative statement, the less he's going to look foolish in retrospect. Now, there's some inherent obstacles for the undertaking. First of all, I'm a... I'm not some sort of sick fuck like Peter Laurie or the show, traveling on the countryside collecting fingers. Uh, we're all buddies here. Nobody wants Norman to lose his finger. He's just, uh, we're just going to chop it off. So if he doesn't smile on old Norman, we'll put his finger on ice, rush him to the hospital, and in all likelihood, he'll be able to sew it back on. Hopefully. So Norman's protected. His interests have been looked after. My interests, on the other hand, have not. I'm... Emotionally attached to my car as Norman is physically to his finger. I'm putting up a very expensive piece of machinery on this wager. Now, if I lose, uh, I lose. I have no problem with that. I'm a big boy. But uh, 
I, I know what I'm doing. However, if uh, I win, I want to win. If, if Norman lights his lighter ten times in a row, he's going to have emotional problems. He's going to have no emotional problems about taking my car keys whatsoever. So, but if I win, it's not conceivable that Leo or myself, for the last minute, might be able to wield that axe, which brings it to full circle, Ted. Uh, we want you, Ted. Clear, sober, Ted. We want you. Okay, the dice man. I gotta get out of here. Ted, uh, I got a hundred dollar bill here with your name on it. Whether you do as we ask you to not, just sit back in the chair and listen for a minute more. I'm not gonna cut off his finger. Maybe you will, maybe you won't. But that has nothing to do with this hundred dollar bill in my hand. You tell us all right now to go fuck off and walk out the door. But if you sit back and wait 60 seconds before you do it, you'll be a hundred dollars richer. Ted, you're gonna do whatever you wanna do. We're just asking you to indulge us for another minute here. Chester, me, I'm going to pay for it. I'll take your money and I'll sit back down. But a minute from now, I'm going to walk out the door and when I do, there'll be no hard feelings. That was undecided. Tweet us your answer at C-A-R-N-Y couch. That was a fun understudy. It's a yeah. bit of a mouthful. I got some marbles in my mouth or something. So as always, you know, you, you you check us out on Twitter and send us a send us a message that says, "Hey, that's this movie, and you were doing an impersonation of this guy." You suck, Rob. That's terrible. And uh, Brady was doing an impersonation of this guy, and well, yeah, get it then, right. Then then we'll award a prize. Uh, it's been so long since we've talked about whatever the prize of the week was. I don't know what it is. How about this? We'll do whatever movie you want. Yeah. You can make us do a bad movie because you hate us. Yeah. Or you can make us do a good movie because you think we ought to. Or maybe you want to hear us talk again on something we've already done and we have to watch that frickin' Buster Scruggs for the umpteenth time. Oh, God. I didn't realize this was on the table. Who knows? Who knows? Hey, you think of a better prize, we'll go with that next week. At any rate, um... What's it all about? What's it all about? What's it all about? What's it all about? Ooh, I like that one. Oh, <laughs> um, well, I think it's about chaos. Mm. It's about, uh, uh, in this crazy mix-up world, uh, an individual doesn't amount to a hell of beans. The world's just going to do with, with you what it wants to. I mean, um, like, look, there's all these structures in place. There's the law, there's checks, right, which is theoretically supposed to be a promise of money. Mm -hmm. uh, there's boats, which are supposed to get you there, but maybe the freaking captain's drunk. There's um, there's marriage, but uh, maybe I'm just going to screw you, and you're going to screw her, and it's whatever. <laughs> It's about chaos. I mean, it's it's just like, yes, the world's all set up and, and there's all these things, but, um, you know, the, it, all those guidelines and all those things really have no sway over an individual if they choose to mm -hmm. step outside those boundaries. Uh -huh. I like that. I like that. Um, since this isn't going to be my thing, but was definitely a thing I noted, I'll just, let me piggyback onto that, because that's where I think... I really get the Coheny thing, especially in their more lighthearted, well, 
interesting word, but they're more manic fun films, is kind of what I'd call zany cynicism. It's like you've still got characters trying to fuck each other over, trying to double deal each other. There's this idea, like, how much can you trust a person when what people really want is to gain financially from something. Um, and, yeah, it's like that, like you say, it's it's the chaos. It's, it's a look at, um, you know, how... How do you find the humanity in the chaos that comes from everyone just trying to do what most benefits them? Um, the other thing I th think it's about is um, I think it's about crafting your own identity. And I think you see that all throughout this film, uh, you know, starting with a line that sticks out to me is the Italian wife of Bogart, of Billy uh, Dan rather, saying, I'm emotionally English, even though she's an Italian woman. Like, everything about her, her soul is all about, like, oh, I want to live in a, a little college cottage in the British countryside, you know, with, with a little trout stream, just like Harry, which is what attracts her to him. And so she's got this different idea about who she wants to be than what she actually is and what people see her as. And the same is true of Gwendolyn, who, you know, just makes up reality as it suits her. She... That's why she takes so well to being in this kind of high story where deceit is the name of the game. It's like, that's great. So I, I don't have to be tethered to one version of reality. I can make up my story as I go. And, I, you know, I feel like you see the same thing with, obviously, the Nazi in hiding, who, for different reasons, has had to change his name and who he is. And you've got the, you know, guy in North Africa who is really, really into American Hollywood culture. He wants to marry Rita Hayworth. And yeah, I just found echoes in this, and this is where this movie started to really take off for me, of, of wanting to craft and shape your own identity and narrative. And, mm. and I think it's kind of ingenious to stick that into a confidence film where that is what people do. The idea is to you know, lie or make stuff up to benefit you. Uh, so having that extra wrinkle of it, I think, is is really interesting and gives the movie some depth uh, in addition to it just being a, an outstandingly fun time. Yeah, which was a big thing, like, in America and, and this and that at the time, right? Right. It was like the, you know, we watched a Star Trek episode lately, but there's a guy who's, like, frozen and then he comes out in the 24th. He's like, I will want to be able to determine my destiny. I don't want others to make clear what that i mean that's just been an american thing uh, uh especially yes. coming out of world war ii yes it's it's very much hand in hand with rugged individualism i suppose is yeah i'm gonna disappear into the desert and make a new me yes yeah so uh there's that um yeah there's those those things about it uh i i it, this all kind of fits in <laughs> i mean it's weird because everybody gets uh, put forth who the characters are and stuff in the first act with all that verbiage and, and this and that. Um, and then, uh, despite that it's a movie about stepping outside of the bounds and, and this and that, they all kind of remain true to those characters that are set up in the first person. Right. Like, the, the Billy line I really liked was like, I'm a typical rare spirit. That's <laughs> like, a great line. Because she's like, you're a rare spirit. He's like, well, I'm a typical rare <laughs> spirit. I, I'm a rare spirit, but I'm also an archetype. I am. Yeah, I, I'm the rare spirit in the, in the way that uh, everybody who says you're you're a character, 
you know, that means he says, pull, pull my finger. <laughs> That's what being a character means. Um, like another line that I, I like that I thought tied into this, I, I can't get it verbatim, but I think it's Gwendolyn's talking about her husband and she basically frames him as a war hero. She's like, yeah, he dove into flaming wreckage in the ocean to save a man's life. And then she adds on at the end, like, well, it turns out there was only flaming wreckage and not a man. But, like, eh, don't let that ruin it. Yeah, he did it anyway. <laughs> the and intention. It, there's, there's also the thing where she goes, we're going uh, to, to Central Africa because we're worried that there's a lot of sin there and we want to put an end to it. <laughs> or my husband's worried that there's sin. Yeah, I think that's when Maddie ran into the room. It's <laughs> like, this just, she's so great. <laughs> yeah. And there's also, like, uh, the old, you know, that, that he's... Uh, oh, he's just sullen because his state, uh, his status in life is running an old folks' home, basically. Right. Oh, yeah. See him too, because he, he, the part he plays and what he thinks of himself of is like this kind of English countryside guy, yeah, living in a cottage, well, you know, like uh, Maria wants, um, which is Bogie's wife. But it turns out he's he's not actually that. They're yeah. all they're all trying to put on roles. It's about play acting. All those things are true. Um, let me see. Also, so we uh, we should say we watched the original theatrical release of this film. It was remastered in 2016, and the four minutes that they cut out after the previewing was mm -hmm. put back in. Um, what, what what minutes were those? Uh, there's four minutes more of movie that, that okay. they cut out. Um, Wonder what it was. Uh, also, the scene, the movie wasn't originally in flashback. It just kind of went forward. Okay. But this whole thing is like, you know, it opens with Bogart seeing the guy, you know, with they're they're being marched off at the gallows or arrested or whatever. Right. And and he's like, oh, yeah, they're pretty smart, the smart criminals. And then it flashes back to where they started and so forth and so on. Right. But I think that whole. Yeah, that whole little bit was uh, added afterwards. So. Yeah, little bookend. Yes. Yeah. Okay, well, let's take a break and play Metacritical, and then we'll talk more about the film. Okay. Metacritical. Rob's never gonna win. Metacritical. Brady's the victor again. So it's time to play. I'm gonna lose today. Metacritical, yeah, it's time, time to play. All right, you high voice bastard, we're gonna play <laughs> Metacritical, and maybe I'll get a shot at winning this time. In fact, I'm gonna keep score too because you, you know, know what? Maybe. What if I've been cooking the books this whole You've time? Been well, I mean, I just got the books out of the oven, so you definitely have been doing that. Um, but also metaphorically. Stupid joke, Rob. Stupid joke. Okay, so. You picked the first movie. You mm. high voice bastard. Okay. I picked the first movie. Well, Bogart. What are the odds he's on Metacritic? Hmm. <laughs> the pick, odds? You could pick Casablanca, but it's just going to be like 100. Fair. Now, instead, let's go with uh, Burn After Reading by the Coen brothers. All right, Burn After Reading. 
That was released in like 2012? Uh, I think 8? 8. 9? Nine. 9. Okay. 2009. Man, they did because they came out uh, 2007 was no country right uh yeah yeah well they did they did that's two years i never saw burn after reading i do need to see that that's uh, good yeah what is that matt damon in there uh no it's clooney clooney and pitt and clooney McDormand. and pitt okay i always get pitt and damon confused now because yeah. after the martian yeah that one's very ensemble it's not like there's a lead Fair, fair. Okay, I'm going to say that uh, it was pretty well received. I'm going to go with like 86. Uh, it was pretty well received, but I don't think that well. So I'm going to go with like a 75. All right. Well, I wrote Metacritical into the search engine when I was trying to pull up the site. So uh, it came in with like Metacritical analysis. Oh, okay. I guess that is an actual term. I was just trying to be cool when I came up with the title for this. Burn. After. Reading. Wait, what did you say? 75. 75, and I said 86, right? Yeah. Okay, well, hey, keep talking, too, because I okay. got I gotta do all the, the, the lifting over here. Okay, okay. Burn After Reader? No, burn not Burn After Reader. Burn After Reading, 63. Uh, burn the Reader. Burn the Reader? All right. The Reader sucks. That's a bad movie. Uh, <laughs> I'm so angry. Well, for fuck's sake. 63 is the answer. So you get a 23, I get a 12. Uh, yep. Okay. Well, I'll go ahead and pick The Martian because I brought it up a second ago. So, what do you think? I think The Martian is an 80. Uh, why don't you tell people what we're doing, too? What are we doing? I'm trying to guess the Metacritic score, right? Oh, yeah. For, for anyone tuning in for the first time, we're looking at movie review scores on Metacritic, which is, uh, I think, the best uh, movie review aggregator site. Sorry, Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, whoever gets the closest... Or no, well, basically we're keeping like a golf handicap based on how close we get to the score. Right. I'm going to go with 82, which is fairly close to you. But remember, if I get it dead on, yeah, then I get a five-point deduction. Yeah, bullseyes get a five-point deduction. The Martian is... Oh, fuck. 80. Oh. <laughs> Shit. So then I get a negative five for that. So you're at seven. I'm at 25. All right, Brady, your pick on the next one. This is not shaping out to be a good thing. Okay, let's see. Who's in the Martian? Brad Pitt and Red Sand. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's about it. No, no, you got uh, Chuitl Ejiofor. Okay, fine. Chuitl Ejiofor in a movie I haven't seen called Dirty Pretty Things. Dirty Pretty Things. I have heard of that. I think that's about a 78. I bet you're right. I also haven't seen it, though. I'll go 76. Okay. Dirty. Pretty. Things. 78. Wow. Boom. Boom. So that gets me to 20. And what did you say? 76? 76. Okay, so now you're at 11. Burn. 
I'm keeping score this time. This makes it better. Or, no, I'm at, I'm at a nine right now. Uh, you were at seven last time, and you just got hit for four. Oh, wait, I thought I said 76, and it was a 78. Oh, you are right. No, that's okay. Good, just check, you know, I'm just checking on you. I'm just trying to see okay. see what you're doing there. Okay, um, you're going to, you said dirty, pretty things. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go apropos of nothing but the words in the title, very bad things. Very bad things. Yes. Is that the Christian Slater? I think it's Cameron Diaz is the wife. And like, basically, these guys go on a bachelor party thing. Yeah, yeah. And okay. she's like, are you having fun? Did you do coke? <laughs> and they like accidentally kill a hooker or something. Yes, okay. I, I haven't seen it, but I remember the trailer. I think I saw it with Joe Thompson. We're getting a buzz. Yeah, that's my cell phone being close to my mic. I have backed it off. Very bad things. Okay, who guesses first? You. I'm going to guess a 45. 45. I think it's poorly rated, but not that quite poorly rated. I'm going to go with 56. Okay. Okay. Let's see what we got for very bad things. Look at me, type one-handed. Oh, I see the red. 31. Oh, shit. This what? just screws everything up. You said a 56? I did. I said 56, and it was 31. So I can't do that kind of math. What's that, 25 off for me? That is... Ah, oh, fucking Chris, oh, 45, and you were off by 14, okay, well, that makes you at, like, 23. God damn it. God damn it. Okay, you get to pick the last one, even though I'm so far in the hole. But may pick something that's gonna fucking do a swing. Okay. Like, so that it could be either really good or really bad. Because then it's actually possible for me to win it if we're both, if I'm okay. 20 points correct. I think this is the swingy enough, um, even though I don't like it, but I think it has defenders and it's by John Woo, so that's a major major enough auteur. Let's go Broken Arrow with Christian Slater. Ooh, Broken Arrow. <sighs> I do not like this movie. No, me neither. But I think it was pretty well rated. It was a big hit. 76. <laughs> I don't think it's that. I'm going to go 50. Yep, well, that would give me the swing if it's 76. So, let's see what Broken Arrow is. Broken. I, I'm kind of rooting for you here, because that would be that, wild. That would be fantastic. I'd also be irate that that movie got that score. Well, it's a 61. Okay. So, shit. How come I'm on the wrong half? Further on the wrong half than you. So. What did I say again? Was I 50? 50. 11. Okay. I'm going to add. So you win 60 to 34. Oh, okay. Yeah, I do. I do, but this makes me sad. Or angry. Fuck you. Fuck me. <laughs>
Oh, we have to play it every week, though, so that I can keep losing. Because otherwise, what will we do? I actually am pissed off I wasted a page in my nice notebook uh, keeping score on that. Now I'm doubly angry, Brady. Angry! Angry! Okay, so, um, I want to talk more about this movie, but I don't know what to say. <laughs> Uh, I've already said that it's it's great and it's fun and, and y'all should watch it because I'm guessing that most people are listening to this probably haven't even though we told you explicitly last week to do it. But okay. Well, here's a line I like that I feel like, again, on the meta tip, on the meta level, is like a comment, kind of a, a sly, delightful little comment on all con movies from Ocean's Eleven to The Sting to whatever. And that is... Charm and dependability seldom go in the same package. This is, it's another movie about just like beautiful, charming people, or at the very least, very entertaining people in the case of our motley crew of ingrates. Yeah. Um, and no matter how bad things get, they're pretty much only uncomfortable one time when they're in like the North African right. prison area. It's, it's about... Ex except for what's-her-face, it's just putting on makeup in the corner. Yes. <laughs> Bogey's wife. So it's about beautiful and or entertaining liars. Um, and isn't that what we want out of, our, out of our heist movies? I think so. Yeah, there's that. And... Um, I guess the other thing that I really like, oh no, I had something I was going to say and it just kind of went and far away. Fly, fly. Fly, fly away. Well, I mean, um, I guess kind of my idea was that, you know, Bogart's character is kind of okay with it no matter whatever situation he's in. Mm -hmm. And the Gwendolyn character kind of as she gets more and more entrenched with him, takes on that mentality as well. Like, she's just chilling, sunbathing when they're on the the third boat. Not the lifeboat, not the ship, but the little sailing boat to go on onto there wherever. Whereas everyone else is kind of lying around going, like, oh man, I'm so hot. Oh, she's on the sailboat. The sailboat with the... Yeah. Oh, yeah. But, um, you know, by this point, her transformation is complete and she is kind of in fact, the only time that she's really distraught and upset and so forth is when she finds that Humphrey Bogart has gone off a cliff in a car. Yeah, she likes him. Yeah. She really wants to be uh, married to a guy in a heist movie. It, think of what a dream for her. Like, It's not just that Bogart is Bogart. He's you know, a classic leading man sex symbol. But if she marries him, she's got a lifetime of like, getting to be in her own heist stories to look forward to. Well, she can't marry him. She'd have to get divorced first. I know. Well, that's kind of the bitter twist at the end is, like, the money is a big part of it. She's going to marry someone who can put her up financially, and then her husband ends up getting the money. Right. And then, yeah, and that's why Bogey's laughing because he's, like, kind of down and out on his luck, and he's just teetering all these little spinning <laughs> plates and balancing it all so that he can go there and and, you know make the uh, uranium gold mine that uh, no one else has thought to. It's a he's, very bitter laugh, too. He said that it's coffee. He's going for coffee money. Like, I want to say, does he almost have, like, tears in his eyes as he does it? He just, like, cocks his head to the sky. He's like... <laughs> well, I mean, I think he just went to Seattle and became Howard Schultz. Oh. He went with the coffee. He made his money that way. 
Like you do. Then he ran for president for like two seconds. Uh, ah, yeah. <laughs> and everybody hated him for being rich, white, Humphrey Bogart. Like, <laughs> <laughs> we don't buy it. You're not Howard Schultz. You're well, Humphrey Bogart. <laughs> but only in Beat the Devil. Yes. But some other uh, fun facts about this film is Peter Lorre uh, was known for doing voices, and in a real car accident during this, uh, Bogart's teeth got knocked out. So a bunch of the lines, I think, in the early scene uh, are is Peter Lorre overdubbing Bogart's lines because he was all mush-mouthed and couldn't they put some caps there or something. Again, uh, this guy just did not have a nice time with this. No, movie. no, he didn't like it. Which and is funny because when we introduced it last week... Yeah, I thought it was that they all went on vacation and just had a ball. Sometimes you have a bad vacation. Doing whatever. Well... I mean, I think maybe I might have... Okay, so I was saying that on the word of the person who recommended this movie to me ten years ago, Leo, who I knew at a really awesome bar that used to be in Berkeley called Beckett's. Oh. And Leo said, oh, you should watch Beat the Devil. Or maybe it was Richard. Did Leo work at I'm Beckett's? I'm pretty sure it was Leo. Uh, no, no, we were all just customers. Ah. A regular. Don't you miss being able to say that I'm a regular at a place? Yeah, I'm a regular at home. <laughs> you are. You are regularly at home. <laughs> because it's uh, Corona fire. Uh, it's like, what, what's the, the Kentaco hut, right? What, what's the fucking Portman 2 of all the shit that's going on right now? Corona fire smoke. <laughs> uh, and, and we're out of limes. <laughs> that's the worst. I was doing fine. I was fine with the corona, the fire, and the smoke as long as I had limes for the corona, but you I did not. You don't want to fuck with scurvy. You don't. It's bad. Um, yeah. The, I mean, the one other thing I'll say about this movie that I love and um, I agree with, and I think other reviewers, at least one, maybe Ebert, pointed this out. Ebert liked it. He put it on his list of like best, great movies. Great movies, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's big. Um, but uh, whoever it was, though, what I love about this movie is it is, other than Bogart, so populated by like character actor types. It's something like too few people do. It's one reason among many I love the Coens is like you cast people who have like a look and a voice, you know, uh, and it's kind of cool that you have like a handsome leading man mixing it up with those people. And like, kind of in a way that doesn't feel inorganic. It's like, yeah, you just got this handsome guy, and it's, everyone around him is like a caricature. Um, but I love it because I love character actors. I think movies should make use of character actors more often. In fact, hire me. I'd love to be a character actor. I'd be I dope mean, at it. Make me a character actor, and then and then hire me, and make more movies that would employ me. Uh, I don't know. You you got too many unique traits, Brady. Me, with my pale, <laughs> pale skin and my bright, curly red hair, I don't have... I look like everybody. I could be anybody. So are you, are you saying you're a character actor or that you're... Um, I'm saying that I have what it takes to be a character actor. I, I don't think stand out. Oh, but, but a lot of character actors... I mean, I guess, I guess you're right. Like I was I, being facetious. Oh. <laughs> I, I was saying that the thing about me is that I look like me. And if you, you put me like in a crowd of people, they'd be like, yeah, I've seen that guy before. It's hard, it's hard to mold me into anything but someone who looks like me. Do you think, do you have a that guy face? That's, that's like the thing with character actors. It's, they're that guys. 
Oh, that's true. I mean, I guess you can always be the character actor because it's, you know, like, well, it's like what Buscemi was before Buscemi was Buscemi. Right. He was, you know, it's like, uh, that, or that guy who played uh, in Fargo. I think his name is Steve. The worst line in music history. I hate that line so much. No offense. I think Buscemi, I don't think Buscemi's like a not handsome guy. But you're you're using him in the same sentence right. as DiCaprio. <laughs> that is insane. Oh, okay. Now, now I'm going to suggest a Buscemi movie for next week. Oh, yeah. We do have to do next week movie suggestions. This will make Tess happy too. It's it's a great uh, queer cinema film that I caught up with uh, just last year. Kind of late last year. I think it came out last year. No, no, no. This one's uh, from oh. the '80s. Oh, okay. Okay. It's good. I, I thought you were going to suggest Knives Out, which is what Tess wants us to Tess watch. does want that, but until we're fully... Well, I guess we're already... Yeah, no, this is good. Um, nonetheless, I'm going with my idea, and I get to suggest two anyway. So. But are we at that point? Do you have other things to say about this? Well, I mean, we can always go back to the movie. There's nothing that says that we have to pick the movie last. So no, go no. spit it out, Junior. <laughs> Let's have it. Um, I, I want to rewatch uh, Parting Glances, which blew me away. It was like a little sleeper. doesn't get talked about that much by the major critics. And I thought, uh, yeah, this movie is kind of like about New York, the gay community during the AIDS crisis. But it's not like a big polemic on that. It's just like one night of this couple going out to a party with that kind of as the backdrop. And Bashemi is outstanding. Okay, okay. As he I'm gonna, often is. I'm going to suggest 200 cigarettes then, because I haven't seen that since it was on basic cable. Uh, that's sometimes. also about a party, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've never seen it. It's like a New Year's Eve. They're going from party to party or whatever. Your blah, blah. girl Richie is in it, isn't she? I think she is. Yeah. Isn't Affleck in it? Yeah, <laughs> there's a bunch of people in it. <laughs> I, th I think it was one just like, those. yeah, it's one of those like, these are all these people. They just hired the, like, it, it's almost like there's a thing in Hollywood, even even with this, this movie that we just watched, Beat right. the Devil, um, is that there are crowds of people, they're like cliques, they're almost like session musicians, right? Yeah. They're like, before they become the star, before they, like, get into the system or whatever, they're just ever-present and always there. Like, right. there, there's a bunch of, you know, it's not unusual. Who plays guitar on It's Not Unusual? Dun, 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 dun. Fucking Jimmy Page plays guitar on It's Not Unusual. Oh. Because he was a session musician at the time and he was just like around. And there there are tons of songs like that. They're, you know. Uh, but. They're kind of like the character actors of music. <laughs> like, yeah. wh what's their thing? Their thing is basically you might not know them by name and they're outstandingly talented. Yeah, so there's movies like that, 200 Cigarettes, Beat the Devil, or whatever. Like, again, we said, and I guess I, I did some research and I can't substantiate it. I was just going on Leo's word. But um, my understanding was these were people who were kind of ever-present and in the thing. And, and Bogey said, all right, I'll put up the money. We'll go to Italy and we'll shoot a movie. And they did it day by day. But that was my understanding. I can't substantiate it. But this is what I was told, and this is what made the movie interesting to me. Oh, and sure I, I can kind of see it, so I, I think it's not wrong. But 
it's anecdotal. You can investigate for yourself, but this is what we have heard. Yes, we're not experts here. We're just two guys in we're the studio experts. who we're goes just, like, yo, let's sit down and watch a movie. And we then just like ahead. this stuff, man. We yeah. love this stuff. Um, so, yeah. Uh, now, do you want to suggest a movie? Oh, no, you suggested 200. I did. I, I suggested 200 cigarettes. So I now, tied it back into the whole thing. Yeah, that oh, was very nimble. Oh, yes. Yes. Well You're going to call out my own skills there. Very. This, this is interesting for the listeners. <laughs> this, this, this turns into a big back pat-a-thon. Um, okay, then my second movie, I will honor my wife and suggest Knives Out. All right, well, if you're going to suggest Knives Out, I'm going to suggest Parasite. Because I have oh. not seen any of the four movies that we have just said. Oh, cool. This, that, this is a good batch. I like this batch. Exactly. I would be happy to watch any of these. So now what happens? Now I... I do you one. want to shoot for it? Do you want to Rochambeau? Or do you want to just muddle everything and just have it make no sense? I want, I want nothing to make sense. Because then it'll be like my brain. It'll be like Beat the Devil. That's <laughs> <laughs> hard. Okay, well let's pick a couple more movies then. Oh, more? Yeah, why not? We want nothing to make sense. Okay. Oh, no, yeah. I guess I'm following your trail now. I have no idea what this means, but okay. Um, you go, because let me think for a sec. Well, I want something fuzzy, like, uh, like fuzzy. a soft pillow uh, in an ecstasy trip. So um, uh, I would say 24-hour party, party people, but I'm not going to say that. I'm going to keep babbling incoherently until something strikes me as fits this sort of characteristic idea of fuzzy like a pillow on a drug trip and ah. you're seeping into some goo and okay. then the goo opens up comes out and it's encasing a building Ghostbusters too. wow <laughs> what a ride what a ride um I will suggest we've done Ghostbusters so I mean <laughs> um all right, because, because being covered in goo put me in mind of the opening monologue from this film that I quite love, uh, I will suggest, from my favorite film year, 2007, Michael Clayton. All right, no more Michael Clayton. Clayton. Clayton, hey, Clayton. Michael. Hey, you and your girlfriend are in here stealing sodas again, Clayton. That's, that's what that sounds like to me. Okay, Michael so what, Clayton. What, what, what was the first one that you suggested um, from the 80s? Oh, it's called Parting Glances. Okay, Parting Glances. And that was from what year? Mm, 88? Okay. 87. Six. <laughs> I joined him 88? 87. <laughs> six. No, no, no. I think it was 86. 86. Okay, so that's an 86. And then uh, Knives Out and Parasite are both uh, from 2019. Correct. So, um, uh, that's uh, even, even, odd, uh, okay, odd, uh, and then there's uh, what I said, 200 cigarettes. That's got a number in it, and all these other things had numbers. So two zero one nine. You know what? Uh, I think if you take the nines and you just twist them all together, yeah. and then you go with the other two. We suggest Michael Clayton and Ghostbusters two. Ghostbusters. Uh, oh, Michael Clayton's two. out. Because it just doesn't have anything to do with these numbers that I just said. Okay, okay. Okay, so, no, fuck you, Michael. Clayton, Clayton stealing sodas. 
what is it? What does it mean? Um, I think it means that uh, uh, we're we're gonna do that first one he suggested from 1986. All right, parting glances. <laughs> That's how it all fits together. This will be good. It, it could use a leg up. That totally made sense. This is where we can really do the Lord's work as critics. Uh, this is the le This is clearly the least heard of of these movies. We can help it if people will listen to us. Okay. We're heroes. So, do we have more to add, or, or or have we just gone down the rabbit hole and then come out another rabbit hole and been like, oh, the holes are connected, and uh, now we're going to watch Parting Glances next week? It's gotten to the point, kind of like the ending to The Favorite, where there is no going in or out the rabbit hole. All is rabbit hole. But now we're going to have to watch The Favorite. Oh, well, that's a great movie. Instead. Are we? Is this the chaos? No, we're watching Parting Glances. No, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> okay, everybody, uh, watch Parting Glances so we can spoil the whole thing for you next week. And uh, then you can listen to our um, chibity chibity chip chop chip chop chipper chatter about it uh, when we've got things to say. And Brady will have a lot to say, and hopefully I will too. Peace! Oh, Joe Thompson. <laughs> Carnivorous couch, shit happens once a week It swallows us for two hours when we try to sleep It forces us to watch a film about which we then speak Carnivorous couch With Brady and Rob Get him a gun! You fucking up an